Hey, Unnaturalists, I'm Andy. And I'm Ryan. And welcome to Unnatural. I laughed a little bit there because I don't know if you were expecting me to throw it over to you and you had just taken a drink of something out (laughs) of a really cool mug there. It's a Mother's Day cup. It says, Mama needs more coffee. (laughs) I did a little crowdsourcing on this one, Ryan. About a month ago, I made a post in a Facebook group called Missing and Murdered, a True Crime Community. Shout out to those that run that group because it's amazing. But in my post, I asked about some interesting and under the radar cases that we could feature on the show. And I got some good answers. I decided to go with one. It happened out east that I'd never heard of before. Virginia mentioned that there's this case involving a triple homicide that occurred back in the 1970s that is still yet to be solved. I was drawn to this because I couldn't believe how little coverage it's gotten over the years and thought it would be an interesting one to cover on the show here. So thank you for the recommendation, Virginia. This is the story of the Dale City Triple. Ten episodes now, Ryan, and I would say that this case has tested me unlike any other that I've ever covered. And we've looked at a number of lesser known cases, but none of them as cold as this one. In the almost 46 years since it took place, there has been little to no information to come out, leading many who live in the area to wonder, did the investigators forget about what happened or did they just give up? Barely any articles, news reports, investigation updates have taken place. There have been no documentaries. There's nothing on YouTube about it. It's odd, to say the least. And one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast was to help spread the word and shed light on these lesser known cases. Dale City is a town in the state of Virginia around 25 miles southwest of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's in Prince William County, and when these crimes took place, police called them the worst shootings in the history of the county. This took place back in June of 1978. 17-year-old Karen Scarborough of Fredericksburg, Virginia, was pretty excited She had just recently graduated high school and was getting ready for her very first day at a new job in the nearby Dale City. Her family would later say that she was eager and enthusiastic to start this new part of her life. And like many kids her age, she was anxious about what she was going to wear. And after going back and forth a number of times, 
on a bunch of different outfits. She finally decided on a black knee-length dress with flowers embroidered on it. Solid choice, I would say. Fits well with the time period. She heard about the job from her friend Leonard from school, and she was going to be starting out at $3.50 an hour, which does not sound like a lot now, but (laughs) back then. That's milk money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and apparently it was so much that even her older sister, Janet, later remembered that Karen teased her that day saying that she was actually going to be making more money than Janet was at the local pizza shop. So I guess it was pretty good money, at least for a teenager at that time period. And as any teenager would be, Karen was pretty nervous about her first day at work. I can definitely relate to that. My first day, I was 16 years old. I was heading into the Hardee's fast food restaurant on Ridgeway Avenue in Waterloo, Iowa, which does not exist anymore, hasn't for a long time. And I had about a half a million butterflies in my stomach. And the only thing I really remember about that day is that I got a free meal at the end of the night. And I thought to myself, this is going to be the best job ever. (laughs) What was your first job? I worked at this pizza joint that's been open since 1972 um started at 625 an hour i was 15 a a lot better than karen i guess right (laughs) but clearly and i thought that was (laughs) i thought that was pretty bad it was about 30 years later though so. (laughs) so karen's mom takes her to work as i said it's in dale city at this trailer that was kind of in a housing development area. That's what it was for. It was for a housing development company that was using the trailer as an office at the time. And her mom even came by that afternoon, dropped off a sandwich at one o'clock for her to eat at lunch. And at the end of the day, her mom, whose name was Joan Scarborough, She was a nurse's aide at the nearby Quantico Naval Hospital. She was waiting to pick her up. And it was taking a while, like an unreasonable amount of time. But she didn't want to be that nosy parent on their kid's first day of work that walked in there coming to get her daughter. I can kind of see where she's coming from. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. Her logic is sound. And this was before texting, obviously. So she couldn't text her and say, hey, get your ass out of here. (laughs) Uh, WTF, where are you? (laughs) Right. And I couldn't figure out who this was. I, I looked into this. And again, this case is 45 years old. So there's a lot that has fallen through the cracks here. But what I read was that eventually a man came outside and saw Joan waiting out there and gave her the horrible news that she was neither prepared for nor expecting. Now, again, I don't know who this man was, but he's never mentioned again. So Joan hurried inside the trailer and found what I can only imagine to be a horrific sight. It was three bodies lying on the trailer floor. It was almost immediately evident to her that all three 
had been shot in the head, execution style. She started checking each of the victims for a pulse. The first two were already deceased. But the third, which was her own daughter, Karen, had a faint pulse. However, and there are conflicting things on this, it said that she either died a few minutes later or she died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. So we agree. The motherfucker who told her what was going on was the guy. Again, I never saw anything else about this guy. But and I'll give you some of the theories as to who it could have been. But I read this in a Washington Post article and it never mentions the guy again. So maybe the guy was already there. The guy? I don't know, but it's weird. It's really weird, but... Yeah, like he just saunters up to the car and he's like, hey, there are dead people in the trailer. Yeah. (laughs) That's it? Like, we're not going to ask? I don't know. Sorry. I don't get it either. (laughs) Get a little... I don't get it either. It's, It's something worth figuring out, but... That's nuts. It is nuts. Karen had dreams of becoming a flight attendant. She was an excellent student. Like I said, she had just graduated high school. She loved her dog, Polka, and she loved the Bee Gees. And now, in the blink of an eye, after her first day at a new job, she was gone. Another of the victims, Sharon Lake, was just 25 years old. She and her husband had recently purchased a home in Dale City after moving all the way from Louisiana. Sharon had been an elementary school teacher teaching kids in the first grade. The principal at the school where Sharon taught said that she was an exceptional teacher who devoted herself completely to the children and their parents. Deborah Frank was only 23 years old, and she was also best friends with Sharon. The two apparently had met through their husbands who worked together at the Pentagon, which is nearby. Sharon's husband was a captain working as a computer program analyst, and Deborah's husband was a mathematician. She lived in nearby Alexandria and worked for a government consulting firm in the area. It appears that Sharon and Deborah were house hunting in the area and scoping out possible new neighborhoods for Deb and her husband to move to. That's why they were there. And police said that around $30 was taken from the women's purses, along with some other items that the police would not identify. There were no signs of a struggle in the trailer, and robbery did not appear to be the primary motive for the killings. That's according to the police. And authorities would also later say that none of the three women had been sexually assaulted. The trailer was in a commercial area, but Apparently, it was at the dead end of a road at the time. Again, this was kind of a housing development area. So, they were a bit out of the way from everything. And the only clue that authorities initially released to the public was that they were looking for a few persons of interest who were seen in that area at the time of the murders. And what they said was they were looking for a man around 45 years old driving a Volkswagen with Maryland license plates and three women who were also in the car with him. These women were not the murder victims, police said. Another article I found from the time said, 
prosecutor Paul Ebert told reporters that a man he described as a construction worker in his late 20s who lives outside Prince William is the leading suspect in this highly publicized case. Ebert expressed confidence that the man would be charged with murder sooner or later, which is just ridiculous to go back and read now because, again, that article is from 1978 and sooner or later, well, it's been 45 years and nobody's ever been charged. Either that must have been a red herring because the case is as cold as they come now or something else led them to believe that he was not the guy. That's kind of all we know. And as you can imagine, there are a lot of theories surrounding this case. There's no helpful evidence in that. And I think that was part of the problem. Authorities didn't have any witnesses. There were some people who thought that they might have heard gunshots, but that was about it. And this guy in this car was somebody who was a person of interest, but it's such a generic description. And, you know, we're talking about a highly populated area here it's almost impossible to find that person especially back in 1978 and in the 45 years since the dale city triple it's almost turned into an urban legend with different theories popping up every couple of years it seems Are you intrigued by the dark side of things like murder, kidnapping, and sex cults? What about when the criminal is your favorite musician or actor or director or writer? Hollywood might look like all glitz and glamour until you take a closer look. But I'll tell you one thing, that kind of point of view can make you more vulnerable. From Roman Polanski to Mackenzie Phillips to Judith Barcy to Kurt Cobain, Summer predators and summer prey. I'm Dee Dee West, and I just might ruin your childhood. Follow my podcast, Broken Limelight, where I cover celebrity true crime stories. For more information, visit brokenlimelight.com. Again, that's Broken Limelight. Follow it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Ryan, if you remember, both you and I were curious about this guy who was walking out of the trailer, who was the one that alerted Karen's mother as to what had happened inside the trailer. And we were like, okay, who's this? He's never mentioned again. Who is he? Right? Right. I found out who he was. Oh, yeah. Thanks to newspapers.com. By the way, it's an amazing site. It's 
a bunch of old newspapers. There's over 900 million pages of newspapers on this site that you can kind of Ooh. scroll through, just like you would do at an old library or something like that. I was like going to say, so we don't get to go hide in the basement <laughs> of a library somewhere as we try to solve the mystery of our past. We could still do that. That's fine. <laughs> but that was one of my favorite things to check out at the library, though, that big newspaper machine. Oh, I love I that I have thing. actually never seen one in person. Oh, they're, they're so Really cool. neat. Yeah, they're cool. Once the internet came around, they weren't really needed yeah, as much. Absolutely. I'm just going to read you this article. It's from the Newport News, and it was on the 10th anniversary, the three women's deaths, June of 1988. The title, Murders Remain Unsolved, Dale City. It was more than 10 years ago that three women, each with a bullet hole in the back of the head, were found on the floor of a real estate sales trailer, but investigators have yet to find a motive or a solution. Police have long had a suspect in the June 24th, 1978 murders, and Prince William Commonwealth's attorney, Paul Ebert, says the man, a construction worker, has been questioned extensively with an attorney present. The victims of the Dale City murders, as they have come to be known, were Karen Rose Scarborough, who had just graduated from Stafford High School, Sharon Lake, age 25, a first grade teacher, and Deborah Werner Frank, age 23, of Alexandria, who worked for an engineering consulting firm in McLean. The three were found in the Ryland Homes trailer on Dale Boulevard by sales manager John McCauley when he arrived at 6.45 p.m. to close for the night. There we go. We found out who the guy was. All right. He was the sales manager, John McCauley. Huh. At least that mystery is solved, right? I mean, right? Because I was super curious, like, who is this enigmatic figure that right? just shows up to say, "Hey, there are dead people in the trailer," and then leaves? We never hear from him again. Just poof, gone. <laughs> so that's the answer to that question. The article goes on to say Scarborough, who was working her first day as a Ryland receptionist, was barely alive. She was taken by ambulance to the Potomac Hospital, where she was pronounced dead. Frank and Lake, who were considering a move to Dale City, died at the scene. The publicity surrounding this case prompted Ryland Holmes to cancel plans to put a housing development at the site. But the area has since been built up and the street, once a dead end, has been extended beyond where the trailer stood. 23 Prince William investigators worked the case in the month after the murders and were assisted by the Virginia State Police and the FBI. So it does sound like there were a lot of people on this case, at least in the immediate aftermath of it. Right. It's not like they just pushed it to the side. This is exactly why they put video cameras and trailers now. Like when they do these types of things, they everybody there's footage everywhere. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of theories out there in regards to this case, some of them credible, some of them not so much. One of the most prevailing I found from an article that said, quotes, police have theorized that the murderer may have been starting to sexually attack Karen Scarborough when he was surprised by the two other women who entered the trailer, then killed all three of them. 
Or maybe the murderer had been following the two women around Dale City that afternoon as they stopped into the trailer looking at houses. And then he killed all three of them. There's a lot of things that could have happened, but most people agree that the two women who were house hunting had never met Karen Scarborough before. Another article I read from the time quoted the chief investigator saying, quote, we have a few good suspects and with the right interview, we may be able to make an arrest in a couple of weeks. That was from 1978. So another suspect that apparently wasn't a suspect or either they dropped the ball on this. I don't know. I saw a number of people on Reddit. Reddit's always a good place to go for theories <laughs> And conspiracies and that kind of thing. (laughs) And I went on there and I typed in Dale City Triple. And sure enough, there was stuff that came up on it. And there were people that were asking whether or not DNA testing could be a key into finding out what happened to Karen, Sharon, and Deborah. Because remember, DNA testing didn't exist at the time of the murders. Right. Because it didn't really come out until the mid-1980s. But... These days, it's arguably one of the most crucial components in any homicide investigation. But most in that field say that it wouldn't help much because there was no indication that there was any physical or sexual assault that took place. What they're saying is the killer probably didn't leave any of his DNA on the victims. But I would say it's still worth a shot. (laughs) Because no pun intended. Right. It's not like they're they're gonna find anything else at this point. I mean, it's been forty five years. Right. And, and it's I'm, not like you can check underneath the fingernails or see if there's anything else. That, right. It's because gone. All that evidence is way, way, way yeah. gone. Yeah. We've so we've developed so much since that, and this is exactly why, because we need to know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if they've ever considered that, but it certainly would be something to consider. And I will say that the more I did read about this case, whatever there is to read on it, the more I am inclined to maybe think that it was somebody who was working construction. Remember, this area was under construction as it was a housing development site. And what does Occam's razor state? Well, the simplest explanation is usually the most likely. And maybe the simplest explanation is there were lots of construction workers in this space and maybe one of them saw Karen go into the trailer alone or maybe this person was following Sharon and Deborah into the trailer. Who knows what exactly happened? But that's definitely what law enforcement was thinking too. And my guess is they had a good idea who did it. We talked about that in that article that I read. But For whatever reason, they had absolutely no proof whatsoever, so they couldn't really do anything about it. That's kind of how the justice system is, you know? Mm -hmm. Sad. Sad that they, and I think they looked for years and years. The article talked about how the attorney had been present for several conversations with this one construction worker, but without any tangible evidence, it's going on circumstantial and there's no witnesses, there's no cameras. It's going to be hard to prosecute somebody like that. It really is. Yeah, that <laughs> sums it up, essentially. It's, there's no. nothing, nothing more. That's why it's gone unsolved for so long. Yep. 
unfortunately. There are all kinds of reasons how we ended up with cameras in every room, in every business, giving everybody an individual little cellular device. This this shit happens. Yeah. And everybody, back in my day, we didn't need to have cell phones. Like, well, back in your day. Stuff like this happened. Fuckers, yeah, fuckers just killing people for no reason. And uh, so now my kid has to have a cell phone everywhere they go. Well, and it's, I'd like to just strap a GPS device to her ankle, but <laughs> it's so funny because I it's and I love my mom to death, but my mom and I go back and forth because my mom's like, there's so much violence in this world and there's there's so many more horrible things happening today than ever before. And I'm like, actually, crime has gone down, mom. And we're just advertising the crime that is happening. Yeah. We are putting it on social media. We're putting it on the news all the time. Everybody's seeing it constantly that they think that bad stuff is just happening all the time. Well, there are so many people now sharing their own personal stories that we have an uptick in the amount of storytelling. So now we know more of what's happening before it did. It just flew under the radar. If you weren't in the right area, you didn't get the news for that. Yeah particular event right and now now everybody's sharing information which is a beautiful thing because now more than ever we have the opportunity to be educated on a, an entirely different spectrum level, i guess yeah. yeah it's it's entirely different but it can cause a lot of anxiety and fear because it's like now i know too much yeah now i know that that's a thing now i know that somebody might have tucked a piece of Kleenex under my door handle with some chemical that's going to seep into my skin and cause temporary paralysis. You know, those beautiful moments when you're alone in the car or you're in the shower and you're having a thought and it's a really like intense thought. Yeah. And (laughs) I try not to think what it's like to be a man. but (laughs) But... There are definitely, um, there have definitely been moments where I'm like thinking to myself, as a woman, I have all of these interests and men knock all the interests, you know, there's like, oh, I make jewelry and I crochet and I like to paint and I like to do this thing and I like to dance in my kitchen and men are like, those are stupid things. I like to sit on the couch and watch football. It's like, dude, maybe if you exerted some of that energy, you wouldn't have such an issue with your sexual tension because that is the primary... girl. (laughs) Because that is like, in most of these cases, some man felt like he was owed something out of the situation or felt anger based on an emotional response he was having. And instead of crying and just getting it out, (laughs) he decides, I'm just going to kill somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that. It doesn't. So many times. Why? why? Like, just you should you should paint something or or get a camera. Take pictures. (laughs) I think part of it is. (laughs) I feel like this is going way off on a tangent here. I feel like there's something that's inherent in men and not all men, but a lot of men. And it is a propensity for violence. I don't want to say it's in their DNA, but they are predisposed to it. A lot of them. 
Yes. And I'll admit, like, I have punched my fair share of walls. So I understand needing to get the emotion out. Sometimes emotion manifests in a physical way. And all you want to do is scream, throw something, like punch a pillow. It's much less damaging for everyone. Dude, I've got (laughs) all kinds of pillows to punch, man. (laughs) Just feel your shit. That's... I think, but we also have to understand that there's like years and years, you know, we talk about trickle down years and years of men thinking that it's not masculine to show emotion and just to process things. And women are more apt to talking about their issues. And if more men understood that that's not a solely feminine thing to do, that's a human connection thing, which is what humans thrive on is connection and without that there's no feeling of validation there's no feeling of having someone to resonate with or get things out so that you can actually hear them out loud and go wow that was actually really selfish and i'm glad i was talking to you about that (laughs) but it's not often a safe space for men to feel like they can have that kind of a conversation. Okay, we're way off the rails again. I I only have a little bit more. There was another article I read from July of that year. So one month later that basically talked about how they were still perplexed and they thought maybe it had something to do with a drug deal gone wrong. But the more I read into this, especially from these articles, you know, a few months after, it feels like investigators had no clue and they were just grasping at straws. So that's kind of where we're at now. Nothing. Yeah, there's nothing with it. It is. Yeah, it is crazy. And unfortunately, it just feels, especially for the three women involved, wrong place, wrong time kind of case to me. And as it's been 45 years, stranger things have happened, but we, we may never know. But Anybody who does have any information is urged to contact the Prince William County Sheriff's Department on the cold case hotline at 703-792-7279. It's hard to wrap one like that up, but there's a thousand cases out there like that right now that in local areas that may never get solved. I mean, I can think of at least five to ten in my hometown area that have yet to be solved and may never get solved. And it's frustrating, but it's important to kind of keep talking about it because you never know what can happen, especially with the way DNA is these days. People might be able to find something. There's always hope, right? Fingers crossed. But in the meantime, if you want to check out some of our previous episodes or let us know what you thought about this case and what some of your theories are, you can always find us on our socials you can find us at instagram unnatural the podcast facebook unnatural a true crime podcast or hit us up on email unnatural the podcast at gmail.com make sure to like follow rate and follow us on apple and spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and we will talk to you very very soon might have a special guest coming on in the next couple of weeks or so. But in the meantime, make sure to make good choices. And don't get God. A couple of fun facts here. I like to look up fun facts from time to time. Biggest movies of the summer of 1978, Ryan. Grease, 
Mm-hmm. Animal House, Superman, and Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Have you watched Up in Smoke before? It's been a while for me. How's my driving, man? <laughs> Aren't they stopped in the middle of the median or something? Yes, they're like hung up on the... <laughs> <laughs> and the hot box in the car is so thick you can't even see out the back window. <laughs> oh, I think I love we're it. stopped. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're stopped, man. Biggest songs of the year? The Bee Gees, Staying Alive. You can tell. Staying alive. Staying alive. You can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm, I'm a, a woman's, woman's man. man. No, no time, time to, to talk. talk. <laughs> <laughs> also, from Greece, you're the one that I want. You're the one that I want. You are the one I want. Uh, also, uh, the cars, just what I needed. I guess you're just what I needed. Um, That's a good one. And Billy Joel's Just the Way You Are. So... It's kind of setting the mood. You got Happy Days, Mork and Mindy, Three's Company, and Laverne and Shirley with the big shows there. Those were all over with by the time I was a kid, but I remember watching them on syndication all the time. Like, I think My I've dad seen, talked about those a lot. I've seen like every episode of Happy Days, and I wasn't even alive when it was on. <laughs> so it makes reruns such a beautiful oh, thing. I love reruns, yeah. Yeah. 